Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, I'm Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. So today we're here with season three, episode three, which is on internal versus external processing of conflicts and problems. So I know that that's kind of a vague or abstract sort of topic, but basically what it's talking about today is this idea that some of the time you kind of process your issues by not exactly holding them in, but sort of thinking through them or working through them with coping mechanisms that you do within yourself versus working them out by talking them through or working them through externally, like with another person. And to get through that concept with me today, I've got Orphney here to talk with me, who you may remember from last season, uh, talking with me about love languages and apology languages. So she's here with me again to talk through that. Uh, Before we get directly to that, uh, once again, I just want to thank our patrons for helping me keep the lights on here. So once again, that's Jacqueline, Timmy, Corwin, and the Green Wolf Podcast, who are our lovely patrons. And uh, I just want to thank them. If you want to join them, that's at patreon.com slash ready for polyamory. Uh, If you want to give a one-time sort of coin in my hat because you especially like this episode or last week's episode or any episode coming up, that's at ko-fi.com slash ready for polyamory. That's like buying me a cup of coffee. So, and sorry if you guys can hear my dog in the background here. She is having a tired day and wants to sit there whining at me. Uh... I love you too, Pumpkin. Sorry. Anyway, without further ado, here is my chat with Orphney about internal and external processing of issues, conflicts, and emotions that we're having about specific issues. So we're going to talk in general today about processing our emotions sort of internally with ourselves and externally with our partners and our friends Um, and the ways that being able to do both of these things is especially useful to us as polyamorous people. Although I guess in general, this is a pretty useful skill regardless of what relationship style we're practicing. I know this uh, is something that I definitely use outside of my relationships as well as in them. So um, I think that getting to know ourselves definitely, at least for learning how to cope, is something that I definitely still deal with on a daily basis, (laughs) trying to figure out who I am and who I used to be and where I'm going. Um, But I think it's also important to acknowledge that in partners, definitely, um, especially in long-term considerations that maybe the people that we met before are not necessarily still the same people that we are with currently, but that doesn't mean that our relationship hasn't evolved in the meantime, that we have not, not only learned how to love the different phases of each other, but also learn to communicate with those different phases of each other. 
um, especially when things are not so uh, good down in the <laughs> 100 acre wood. Um, so <laughs> it's it's interesting to think just on a personal basis. Um, I'm sure people are familiar with like those social media trends where they're like compare yourself to 10 years ago um and as the the chronic possum in a in goth makeup as i am i really haven't changed so much aesthetically but when i think about the orphany that i i was before chapter you know 21 versus chapter 29 <laughs> um it's also interesting to reflect on my own partner and himself in different chapters and who he's become and who he's becoming, uh, but also our conflict resolutions and how those have drastically, drastically changed, uh, thankfully for the better. Um, and it's uh, something that also carries into problem solving on an individual basis um, with a, you know, what would my partner you know, tell me in this situation sometimes when I'm having an issue trying to suss things out for myself. So. Right. Uh, I had shared on my personal Facebook and I'll try to make a point of sharing on the uh, Ready for Polyamory page uh, on Facebook as well. A little thing uh, that says that loving someone is uh, attending a thousand funerals of who they used to be. And it's basically the idea that in a long-term relationship, you meet, you know, hundreds of different versions of someone over their lifetime if you choose to stay with someone that long, right? So one of the nice thing about polyamorous relationships is that you can choose to stay with someone for shorter or longer terms. So if you're doing sort of that external processing, this idea of talking out your problems or your current emotions with someone, uh, especially if you're choosing to do so with your partner, you're considering where you are right now and where they are right now when you're doing it, like you pointed out. So if you're considering the you they are today and the them they are today rather than the you who you were a couple of years ago or the them that they were when you met them, it can be kind of a challenging thing because sometimes a lot of our a lot of our thoughts and our um, our assumptions about how they're going to react to what we tell them are based in who they were when we met them, right? A lot of my conflicts with both previous and current partners have been based in assuming what their reactions are going to be based on what our early interactions were like. So making sure that your communication is both, uh, or not just both, but kind of ongoingly deliberate, clear, and based in current information is pretty important. Um, but that's what some of this external processing is for. It's for continuing to give someone information about where you're at. 
you know what they say about assuming. <laughs> so I, I can even think about, um, you know, where I was when my partner and I first started uh, the, the courtship uh, about eight years ago, going on nine years now. Um, you know, a lot of the issues that I even carried into external processing of conflict with us at that point in the infancy of our engagement um, carried through with very maladaptive coping skills that I picked up externally through traumatic childhood experience chronically, um, how I had processed that as an older teen slash young adult um, with really no type of what I want to say, like mentorship along the way to tell me just on a personal basis, you know, what can you do about um, trauma processing and how does that maybe affect your day to day? But partner, fortunately enough for him in his life, he's never had to deal with these types of um, situations and this type of chronic anxiety, everything that goes into that. And so when we had first started, I was very much of the, you know, I can't believe you don't understand that these things happen in the world to people kind of mindset. Um, and putting that lack of perspective, rather than a lack of experience um, onto him in a way that was making him out to be ignorant and, and like willfully so, where rather he's coming from this experience where he's had a very pleasant life. And I'm, I'm very thankful for that. I would never wish anything awful to happen to him ever, especially not as, as, as small has been. <laughs> but um, the way that he was able to talk to someone having a traumatic experience was very sophomoric, where he's just like, well, why don't you just try being happy? <laughs> so after many years and a lot of that external processing where we're ruling out the imaginary assumptions of how somebody might maybe react to something or might provide insight to something, um, it's all very out in the room. <laughs> I'm having an issue. This is what I want. This is what I do not want. Um, and I, as, as rudimentary as that sounds, um, in order to get to that phase, it's, it's a lot. <laughs> yeah. And I think, so I'm one of those people who talks through my immediate problems much of the time. I'm I'm the kind of annoying person some of the time who's like, wait, I need to tell someone that this thing is happening to me as it's happening. I need to narrate my problem somewhere or I will not solve it, <laughs> right? So I find a friend. It might not be my partner. It might be like my best friend. It might be my sister. It might be, it'll be someone. Right. So I have like a short list of friends who have consented to be one of the people who I text when something like this is going on. And like, you're one of them. Sometimes I reach out to you and go, Hey, do you have a minute? And like, I tell you that something frustrating is happening. And I go, Oh my gosh, can you believe that thus and such frustrating thing is happening? Um, you know, I was 
telling the whole internet uh, the other day that I continue to be extremely frustrated because uh, the large popular knitting website Ravelry uh, continues to ignore accessibility requests from its users. Um, and thousands of us get terrible migraines every time we use the site for more than five minutes, which is, you know, not fun. Um, but I continue to be super terribly irritated by that. Uh, in addition to, you know, debilitated migraines, it's great. <laughs> and I, you know, end up talking this out at people because I'm one of those people who can't manage, like, like when I'm, when I have a negative emotion and just have it, I end up turning it into a little ball of grudge and just sitting on it. Whereas if I tell someone about it, I release it into the world and then it's gone and it flies away like that butterfly in the meme where the guy is like, is this thing? Is this a pigeon? <laughs> and then I can let it fly away, right? And then I'm done with it. So for some people, that difference in processing style is a like substantive difference in kind. Whereas for other people, if they hold it close to the vest, they then are able to better examine it. And by holding it in, they can like transmute it into a different kind of feeling by holding it internally. And I know this because my therapist was trying to explain to me that some people can do this uh, because I was trying to understand why some people hold things so close to the vest and don't want to talk out their feelings early on because I was like, hey, why does not everyone want to do this thing that I do where they lay open their feelings relatively early and then just let them go? Um, because apparently not everyone by holding them inside holds them like a little ball of grudge that poisons their insides. I, I think that in the, on a very similar path, I've, I've also been working with a therapist for a very long time for cognitive behavioral therapy with complex PTSD, uh, wombo comboed into the PTSD related to my job, um, mm -hmm. entirely different species, but no matter how I process my emotion, um, my therapist always reminds me that in the grand scheme of the neurohighways that are our brains and all of the chemicals that go into helping us feel certain ways than others, feeling euphoric versus feeling manic, for example, both very high, but why is what separates the two of them. And um, she really focused in on secondary emotions um, where if I feel angry about something, uh, anger is a secondary emotion um, and so too is sadness often. And the matter beyond the mask of those emotions are usually a root of confusion, discomfort, something that is making us unstable. 
And so um, I have a very Spock-like approach to when I'm having a big feeling, which is what a lot of my friends with uh, young ones say, um, when I'm having these big emotions, uh, why? Why am I having this big emotion? And for me, one of the things that I can do if maybe I don't have a, a friend to reach out to right at that moment, or if I think that maybe it's not something that my friends necessarily would consent to listening about um, a lot of like current family trauma kind of things that are a little confusing for people who aren't involved necessarily. Right. Um, and so the way that I can process that is I have this um, really rackety secondhand um, treadmill in my frat hole of a basement. <laughs> and I'll just put on something like I mean, really trashy, like catfish has been my biggest thing, um, where I just put the treadmill onto a high um, uh, incline and I just stomp it out, like, get it together, get it together. What is upsetting you? Um, because I'm, I'm at a point in my life now where I can be, um, what I want to say, like examining these emotions and trying to not necessarily tame them or suppress them, but repackage them, like you said, uh, trans transmogging them, transmorphing mm -hmm. them into something at least maybe productive, even if that means giving myself a break and having a little brain dead moment on the couch for a couple hours, yeah. um, if not a whole day. <laughs> so, um, but that doesn't work for everyone. And yeah, I'm, I'm very thankful. I know that I, I also know that I have sent you plenty of word vomits where I just have a, girl, we got to rally the troops. What the heck is going on over here? Um, and I'm very grateful to my friends who I can um, unleash that to and have that affirmation feedback, um, if not potential problem solving, because that's not something that everyone is capable to uh, assist with. But at least if you can get that validation of either, honey, I can't believe this happened to you. I'm so sorry. Or friend, what the heck are, get, get yourself back together. You're reading too deep into this. Just that little reality check when we're having those glitch in the matrix moments. Yeah. Sure. And sometimes there isn't an immediate problem solving ability. And it is just discomfort that we know as adults, we can't really deal with in that moment. And when that's the case, I do sometimes do the sort of internal self recheck of put on some music really loud and dance around the room or whatever, which I guess is a form of internal processing that I do for myself, right? I put on music too loud. I scare the dog a little and I dance, right? My beagle is scared of loud 80s music. So <laughs> I crank up some music from the mid to late 80s and dance to the music of the years I was born, right? Like the years that I was a baby are the best years for nostalgic music. And just turn it up, dance around the room, terrify Pumpkin because she's afraid that I will hold her by her paws and dance. Anything but that. <laughs> yeah. Why would you do this, mom? This is the worst. <laughs> I I definitely 
absolutely resonate with the music. I am someone who is very much someone who needs to have music present at every phase in my life. Um, there are definitely pieces that I can listen to that instantly make me think of a certain time in my life, um, but hopefully they can get restructured into new versions of my feelings and all that good kind of stuff. But um, like video games or playing dress up <laughs> is something that I definitely utilize on a pretty regular basis just for that escapist moment where I'm like, well, nothing I can do about this right now, whether I want it so terribly or not. So let's just pretend to be some other creature for a little bit. <laughs> right. And one of the ways that this relates into polyamory and into our emotions about our relationships is, of course, just that in being polyamorous, we sort of invite into our lives a greater variety of emotions, basically, a greater number of places for interaction and for the possibility of emotional discomfort like by being in more relationships we're allowing for more, more vulnerability we're allowing for interaction with more humans we're allowing for interaction with the humans who those people are interacting with right by having the possibility of interaction with our metas by having the really just vulnerability with our partners, we're allowing for the possibility of more discomfort. I think one of the, the coolest things I've seen recently in the, the hot topics of, of clinical therapy has been a very creative approach to role-playing in groups for conflict resolution that might not necessarily be romantic connections um, in the guise of um, tabletop role-playing games. And so one of the things I was thinking about when I was reading um, up on one of the programs that this clinical counseling service was offering for other uh, clinical professionals to utilize, I am not a clinical therapist. I work with them and I utilize uh, at least one service. Um, but I was just thinking like how funny it would be just as someone who plays a lot of tabletop role-playing games to personify the interlapping, um, what I want to say, the connections of separate uh, adventure groups, adventuring parties as different polycules within that branching network of metas and telemores and what happens when different adventuring parties meet. Um, and I know that, you know, role play obviously has its, its own very exclusive and well-researched role, uh, no pun intended, in um, helping people express themselves when they're feeling a little uncomfortable in their own skin at that moment, or being able to provide that reflective opportunity for how they are perceiving someone else to be behaving in that engagement. Um, and so it's just, you know, like you said, there's so many opportunities for vulnerability just in many good ways, just as there are in many potentially not so good ways. Um, and how we get over those not so great hurdles, whether that's with a 
partner or with a telemore with a metamore, um, whether it has to do with scheduling or anything else like that that comes up in the common lists of poly conflict uh, interpersonally. Um, it's just, it's so important because, I mean, I know that we talked before about love languages and apology languages um, to do a little shameless plug for <laughs> back into that episode, but it, it's so important with conflict resolution too in groups, let alone in between two people, um, to really know how it is that we have the capacity to communicate and also give and receive criticism, for example, um, give and receive apologies, um, everything else like that. But definitely being able to process what it is that we're going through before we even get to that point is, is such a magical journey, <laughs> for sure. It's another way to think about our own ability to be sort of more present with ourselves and our partners and our larger polycules and being kind of more aware of what we need in these relationships. Because if we're able to know that we process better, if once we know that there's a problem, we turn outward to friends or to our therapists or to our partners to sort of address problems and we know that that's what we need then we can ahead of time check in with a few of our friends and have kind of a standing support system in place right and we can know ahead of time okay I've got friends x y and z who are willing to listen if I have problems that are related to my relationships, right? And they're outside of my polycule and they're okay with listening if I have issues from within my polycule so that I'm not stressing out anyone within the polycule uh, talking about conflict like within that group, right? Because people don't want to badmouth people who are within the unit or, you know, stress out any of those connections by sort of talking to your meta about your partner or talking to the hinge about the conflict you're having with your meta to make them resolve your conflict. I mean, you can if it's actually about them and not about your meta, but in a lot of situations, you just want to deal directly with the person you're dealing with. And if what you need is advice, or if what you need is just to vent, you want to talk to someone outside the situation. You want to talk to your therapist. You want to talk to your unrelated friend. <laughs> you want to deal with it within yourself if that's the thing that you actually need. <laughs> so knowing how it is that you process the situation is really helpful. Because if what you need is to process outward, you can identify ahead of time who the people who are outside the situation that you can sort of tap are. So having those preset can be really convenient or at least knowing the pool you can pull from. Um, and then if you figure out that that doesn't work for you, 
And what you need is to work out your negative, your sort of negative end of the feeling physically so that you can think while you do it or not think while you do it so that then you've removed some of the emotion from it and you can just sit and think afterwards. That can also be really helpful. Have I missed any of our main points? I don't think so. I mean, everything <laughs> really resonates because I'm a neurodivergent um, survivor of trauma. And so it's it's such a conscious effort to put into these uh, examinations of oneself, let alone the perceptions of other people that we're maybe trying to have that conflict resolution with or bounce those ideas off of at risk of presumed bias, anything else like that. Um, but no, I think there, there's so many things <laughs> that go into this big gumbo pot that is feels. <laughs> right. I put a lot of effort into managing my social interactions in terms of sort of evaluating them from the outside afterwards and whether that's because I am also neurodivergent or whether that's because I'm an overthinking nerd is unclear to me. Um, but regardless, it is a thing that I do and that is why I have this podcast. So <laughs> everyone can take advantage of my uh, having read all the books and bringing you these thoughts. So... Basically, in short, whether you find that you're a person who best sort of feels their feelings by sitting in them in your body and sort of locating where in your body you're feeling the feeling and locating where in, where in yourself the feeling is and what feeling it is. And whether that feeling is kind of a mask for something else. So as Orkney was saying, if it is anger, if it is sadness, if it is jealousy, is that jealousy a sort of cover for anger or sadness that is in itself a sort of cover for discomfort? And sort of sit with that for a second and then figure out, is that something that you want to talk out with someone? Is that something that you just sort of want to move yourself until you feel it flowing out of where it is in your body? What is it that you think will help you? And test it a few times and see what it is that helps you and see if that strategy works for you consistently. And if it's inconsistent, see if there are a few things that work in sort of alternating ways. And if that's a matter of alternation or a matter of circumstance and see if you can build a toolbox for yourself. I used to keep a notebook where I literally kept notes about these things. Um, and that started as homework for therapy for a therapist that I had about eight years ago. Uh, and then that turned into me knowing what my habits were, which it turns out are that I externalize almost everything. And that when I can't do that, I dance like a maniac in my kitchen. Um, and that when I am feeling especially jealous, 
it is a feeling that sits in the pit of my stomach and I have to move or I feel like I'm going to die. So like, you know, then I turn up very loud 80s music and dance around like a maniac. And when I'm done doing that, I sit in a bath that is as hot as you can believe. You know, it doesn't work for everybody, but it works for me. <laughs> and it by then subsides to whatever the feeling below that is. And that varies. <laughs> but I can then examine what's underneath that. Imagine if entering any polycule, you came with a user's guide. <laughs> Some people make those for themselves. I'm I'm thinking about it now. A little book of shadows for Orphney. So, <laughs> <laughs> users beware. <laughs> but yeah, so while I'm not sure that I recommend making a like Karen feeding guide, um, I do sort of in all things recommend trying to know thyself and I think this is a dimension that is easier than many to figure out what you like in because anytime you get upset you can take a second and try to notice what you do and what it is that makes you feel better and see if it's one of these things uh, so I don't hope that any of you get upset, but I hope that when inevitably you get upset because you're human, uh, you take a second to notice how it is that you solve it so that you can maybe use some of these strategies that we talked about today. Thank you for coming and talking to me today, Orphney. No, thank you so much for having me again. It's always a blast. I love this. So thanks a lot to Orphney for joining us today. Because of the nature of her work, she can't share any of her external projects with us, but she'd really like if anyone is so moved uh, for folks to donate to a medical debt organization uh, that is at ripmedicaldebt.org. So if anyone has a little bit of extra cash and is so moved, that's where you can donate. The link is in the show notes. Uh, as always, you can find the blog at readyforpolyamory.com. You can find us online at our Facebook group or uh, as well at our Patreon and our Ko-Fi, which are also in the show notes. So have a great week, everybody, and we'll see you next week.